Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh, and this is like, honestly, I was thinking about it while, while Sheridan was saying all those nice things to me. He saves all of his nice words for my introduction, and then I get nothing nice from him for the next six weeks or so. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, but you guys, you guys like my second church, I reckon. Like, this is home to me. Even though you're in a different building, I come and I see all, this, all the smiley faces, and I see the, I see the worship leaders, and, um, and it's been like four and a half years that I've been coming along to Activate Now and just hanging out with you guys and seeing your worship. You know, like people growing up, and people get engaged, and people getting married. Um, yeah, people maybe should be getting married. I'm just looking down the back. Here. No, I'm not going to say that. It'll be naughty. <clears throat> I'm going to say, I'm not going to say anything like that. I saw a meme the other day. Uh, and this meme, I saw this meme and I was like, oh my gosh, that meme just sums up my whole life. Have you ever seen a meme and you're like, that's me. That's like right there. Like that, oh my gosh, that's me. I saw this meme and I was like, that's me. And I was sitting in bed with my wife. Um, I just don't picture that. I was, I was there. I had my phone and she was next to me and she was reading a book. And it was like a healthy gap between us, just in case you're wondering. Side note. Do you, do you know, if you, ever, if you ever go to a quiz and, and the quiz question is, what is the first couple ever on TV to ever be shown in the same bed? Do you know who it is? It's the Flintstones. <laughs> right, so next time you're at a pub quiz and that question comes up, you remember it's the Flintstones and then you can be like, thank you, Josh. Anyway, we were, we were, we were Flintstoning it, like healthy PG. And I'm on my phone, and this meme comes up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is my life. This meme is my life. I'm like, Liz, it's my wife's name. I said, Liz, Liz, look, look, Liz, look, look, Liz, 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 look. She was ignoring me. Liz, look, Liz, look. She looks up, she goes, what? I said, it's my life. She goes, that's nice. And, and it was this meme, it was like this inspirational quote, and it said, it said, we didn't do it because it was easy. We did it because... We thought it was going to be easy, <laughs> right? And, and I read that and I was like, that's me. That is absolutely me. I hate doing hard things. I like doing easy things. And I think somewhere along the way, God worked out, look, the only way to get Josh to do anything hard is if Josh thinks it's going to be easy. And God's not a liar. So God never said to me, oh, it'll be easy, man. But when I tell God, I think it'll be easy, he just doesn't say nothing back. Right, so he comes to me one day, he's like, Josh, I think you should pastor a church. And, and uh, I was like, pastor a church? Yeah, that doesn't sound so bad. That doesn't sound like that difficult. I think I could do that. That won't, that won't be hard. And God goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and then he comes to me and he says, he says, I think you should open a cafe. I know you've got a full-time job pastoring a church, but I think you can handle two full-time jobs. So why don't you open up a gelato cafe? And I was like, a gelato cafe? Do two jobs in the same, at the same time? Yeah, I don't reckon that would be that bad. I reckon I could do that. That doesn't sound hard. And God goes, mm-hmm. Right, so I open up a gelato cafe. And like, no jokes. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I'm, I was just telling Sheridan today, I'm, I'm about to sign the paperwork to open another gelato shop. And even though I know I do this, I hear myself telling people, I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. So I said to Sheridan, it's not going to be that hard. It's going to be, it's going to be easy. And God's like, mm-hmm. But in my defense, every time I do something like that, it works out okay. Right? Like, I thought pastoring a church was going to be easy. Oh, my gosh, it was not. But it worked out okay. I thought opening a gelato shop was going to be easy. 
Oh my gosh, it was not, but it worked out okay. And I'm sure that whatever I do next, I think it's going to be easy. It won't be. And I'll be like, Josh, you dummy, but it'll, it'll work out okay. But in, in fairness to me, I don't think that me avoiding hard things is a Josh problem. I think it's a humanity problem. Like, you're looking at me, like, you know you do this too. Right? It's, a man, it's a humankind problem. We don't like doing hard things. Right? It's just me. And I, I think that, like, our brains are hardwired to stop us doing hard things. Like, our, no jokes, our brains are hardwired to prevent us from pain. And very often, doing the hard thing is the painful thing. That's, oh, big spit. That's why if you are, we need like, like a splash zone for the first two or three rows, like when you go to SeaWorld. No, joking, that's gross. I do that to my Christchurch friends. Like, if you, if you go to touch something really hot, like an oven or something, like, or a, or a stovetop, your hand will snap back before you've even had a chance to process anything because your brain has this defense mechanism which says, that's pain, I have a program to prevent you feeling pain, so I'm going to pull your hand back before you even have a chance to think about it. It's not like you put your hand on a stove and you go, oh, that's hot, that's really burning. Oh, my hand's on fire. Watch well, should I pull it back? Should I keep it there? I think I'll pull it. Like, you don't have a chance at the end of that stuff. It's like, bang, right? Because your, your brain's hardwired to stop you feeling pain. And it, it's hardwired to stop you feeling emotional pain as well. That's why we don't have hard conversations with people. We don't put ourselves in positions where it's going to get awkward and uncomfortable, right? And, and so I, I think this idea that we don't like doing hard things, that's just a problem that all of us have to face. That's why we're like, I could get up, I could go to the gym, or I could watch Netflix. Like, what are you going to pick? Come on. You're going to pick the easy option because that's, that's what we pick. Now, you guys, are, you guys are really pushing into the moment this idea of like, connecting with God and relationship with God and getting closer to Him. Let me ask you a question. Out of anybody that's ever lived in the history of the world, who do you think is the group of people that were the closest to Jesus ever? The disciples, right? Because they got to live with Jesus. They got to travel with Jesus. They got to eat with Jesus. They got to sleep next door to Jesus. They probably had Jesus pray for them. Like, like actual Jesus in the flesh praying for them. And they probably got to pray for Jesus. Like if there was ever a group of people that was ever closer to Jesus, closest to Jesus, it's the disciples. And so when we talk about being closer to Jesus and close to Jesus, that's our benchmark, I reckon. This idea that we are called to be followers of Jesus Christ. That we're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I loved what Ashley said during communion. That, you know, when you become a Christian, that's the start of your journey. Jesus never called us to be believers in Him. He called us to be followers of Him. And there's a massive difference between those two things. So I've, I've come to tell you guys two things tonight. Just two. I just got to make them up real quick. Hold on. Nah, it's jokes. Uh, I, but I, I do really appreciate the one guy in the middle. They went, ha! That was, that was, I appreciated that. The first thing I want to tell you is that being a disciple of Jesus is really, really hard. It's really hard. I'm going to sugarcoat it for you. Being a believer is easy. 
Do you know what it costs you to be a believer? Nothing. And if you try to pay for it, you'll get your hand slapped down. I don't want that. The Bible is very clear. Paul goes into massive detailed passages of the Bible, whole books of the Bible where he's like, guys, you can't earn your salvation. You can't work for it. You can't pay for it. It is free. It is by grace you have been saved. If you want to be a believer, all you've got to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Right? It's not hard to be a believer. But if you want to be a follower, that is hard. So the first thing I want to tell you tonight, being a follower is hard. And the second thing I want to tell you is that you can't do it. So thanks for having me. It's been cool to be here. Uh, I'm just going to leave you with that. And um, I, I will get to the second point in a minute because that sounds like a weird thing to say. Following Jesus is hard and you can't do it. And I think both of those things are true. Let's just have a real quick look at, at Luke chapter 14. I'm not going to read it all out because it's a really long chapter, but I'm just going to focus on one passage. Jesus, it says in verse 25, is, is walking along and it says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, and then he, he unpacks something. And I just want to bring some context around that. Normally, we see Jesus, he moves from town to town. That's clever. He moves from village to village, right? That's how his ministry works. He goes somewhere, he prays for people, he preaches the gospel, he heals people, he performs miracles. And then he goes, right, now we're going to go over here. And he comes over there and he walks everywhere he goes and people follow him. And every time he goes anywhere in these crowds, he's so kind, he's so compassionate. There's blind people that yell out to him and he stops and he says, what do you guys need? And he prays for them. You know, there's, there's women with issues of blood that force their way through the crowd, and he's so kind and compassionate. He's like, hey, your faith has healed you. There's little kids coming to him, and people are trying to stop. He says, no, no, I've got time for kids. Bring them to me. He's so kind. He's so compassionate all the time. Except in Luke chapter 14, he's in a bad mood. I don't know what's happened to Jesus. There's no context for why he says what he says. There's no backstory. Everything looks totally normal. Everything looks the same as every other occasion. But on this occasion, he turns around and he reads them the riot act. Let me give you some context real quickly around, I think, what Jesus is dealing with. Do you know that when we read the Bible, we see Jesus calling his disciples. He sees Peter and Andrew on the side of the, the Lake of Galilee. Did I say that right? Lake of Galilee? Lake of Galilee? Sea of Galilee? Oh, now you guys are water body experts. Like... The Galilee thing, right? He sees them there. And, and, and he says, hey, follow me. He calls them to follow him. And then he sees James and John, and it says they're in the boat with their dad Zebedee. And he says, hey, follow me. He calls them and they follow him. And so when we read the Bible with our super experienced Western 2023 mindset, we think that's how it works. If you want to, if you want to be a disciple, you've got to wait for the rabbi to call you to follow him. But that's not how it works. That's the opposite of how it works. In Jesus' day, in ancient Israel, the way it worked is that the disciples would choose the rabbi. The reason that Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John is because never in a million years would they have ever followed Jesus because they weren't qualified. They hadn't been through the disciple finishing school. They were just everyday normal folk. They were just fishing with their dad. That was their job. 
Never in a million years would they have said, I'm going to become a disciple of a, of a Jewish rabbi. And so Jesus had to call them because he called fishermen and he called tax collectors and he called ordinary people. But the way that it would work is that all the rabbis would come and hang out together and all of the boys that had finished discipleship training school that were ready to follow a rabbi, they would come and they would hang out in this public space and the rabbis would debate scripture. They would talk about what they think the Torah meant when it said this. They would highlight different passages. They would give their interpretation. And as a disciple or a budding disciple, you would sit there and you would listen to all these rabbis talking and you'd go, you know what? I really like the cut of his jib. I like his take on Leviticus. I like what he's saying. I I think I'm going to follow that guy. And then when it was all kind of said and done, the rabbis would stand up and they'd they'd leave. And the way that you would tell all of your friends and all of your family, the way that you would declare publicly, I'm following him, is you would get up and you would follow the rabbi that you like the most. That's how you do it. The disciples chose to follow the rabbi they wanted to follow by literally following them. So when Jesus is walking from village to village, and there's a whole bunch of people behind him, there's a lot of observers, there's a lot of just gawkers, there's a lot of people that want to see the next miracle, maybe a lot of people that heard he fed 5,000 people the other day with some loaves and fishes, they'd like some free food. But there's also a lot of people who are like, I'm his disciple, look, I'm following him. That, that means that he's my rabbi and I'm his disciple. And for some reason, in Luke chapter 14, it just gets to Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 14, he's walking And with no provocation, with no rationale why, with no previous context, he just stops and turns around and says, hey, all of you guys following me, let me tell you what you're signing up for because you don't know. I'm a different rabbi to everybody else. And if you choose to follow me, you're signing up for a whole world of stuff that you don't know about. And so in Luke chapter 14, this is what Jesus says. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, their wife and children, their brothers and sisters, even their own life, you cannot be my disciple. Right? So that's, that's brutal. Where would kind, caring, compassionate Jesus go? He's like, mate, well, here's what he's saying. He's saying, unless I am your number one priority, unless your relationship with me is top of your list and then there's daylight and everybody else underneath it, unless you care more about our connection than your connection with your spouse, then you can't be my disciple. I have to be the number one priority in your life, period. That's the first thing Jesus says. And you think, oh, flip, flip. That's a, that's, that's a lot to process. Next verse, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What what does that mean? Well, I mean, Jesus hasn't even been crucified yet. But according to an article that I read the other day, the Romans were crucifying Jewish people at the rate of about 500 people a day. That's a lot. Yeah. So they all knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, you've got to carry a cross. What's he saying there? He's saying, guys, I want you, 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 if you're going to be my disciple and you're going to follow me around, at some point, things are going to pop up in your life that make it harder for you to follow me. They're going to get in the way of you following me. And when those things pop up, we're going to stop right then and there and we're going to nail it to the cross. You don't have to wait until church on Sunday. 
You don't have to wait for a preacher to come and pray for you. You're going to have that thing with you every moment of every day. And as soon as something pops up, whether it's ego or pride or fear, listen, guys, I'm not going to be arguing with you about who's God, you or me. It's me. And if anything gets in the way of that, we're killing it and then we're carrying on. Cool, cool. That's what Jesus says. And then then he goes on to tell a little bit of a story about this idea that, you know, if you, if you want to build a building, you've got to work out what it's going to cost first. Otherwise, you'll get halfway through it, run out of money, and look like an idiot. That's what Jesus says. So he kind of gives this analogy. And then in verse 33, he says this, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. So let's just revisit those three things that Jesus said. Number one, I've got to be your top priority. All of you guys that are dating right now, girlfriend, boyfriend, not, not as important as God. Or you that are married, wife, husband, not as important as God. I can say that because my wife's not here. <laughs> Do you know, I'll just pause for a second. Funny story time. <laughs> Gather around, children. <laughs> I had a big beard, like Garth. And what's your name, sir? What's your name? Sam. What a great beard, Sam. And even Luke. I know you've been working on it for 35 years, but good job. Right? Everyone laughs because they're like, that is true. Right? Um, it wouldn't be a Sunday without a little wee poke at Luke, right? Like, that's now my new favorite thing to do. Right? So I used to have this beard, and then my wife was like, your beard is so prickly. Like, I want to kiss you on the cheek, and it hits my lips, so I shaved it off. So I shaved it off, and underneath my beard was another chin which I didn't know was there. I was quite mortified by it, and I'm a little bit, just a tiny bit, I'm still working on it, a little bit vain. And so I knew I was coming up here, and so I just sort of sneakily skipped. I mean, this will probably annoy you, Luke, but I only, I only shaved this morning. So um, I didn't go for my regular 5 p.m. shave. Um, and so I... She said, oh, are you going to shave? I said, look, honey, I'd rather not shave before I go to activate because of the chin thing. And um, I said, I'm a little bit self-conscious about it because I feel, I feel a bit fat. And my, my loving wife, my loving wife looks at me and goes, well, stop eating. Like, wow, like, uh, wow, wow. And I said to her, I said, hey, let's, Let's just imagine that conversation in reverse. How would that go? My wife comes to me. I'm just, I just feel really fat in this dress. Well, stop eating. Like, double standards. It's not fair in marriage, right? It's, it's not fair. Here's, here's, my, here's my point. Being a disciple, that's hard. Can we, can we get, like, just real honest for a, just for a little bit? Sometimes, I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm 27. And I'm, I'm 40, all right? I've been a Christian my whole life, 47. I'm 40, all right? Nearly 40. What? Whose side are you on, Jan? Right, you're in my crosshairs next. I'm going to pick on Jan next. Hey, she's on Liz's side, yeah. Sometimes, I think being a Christian... Is harder than not being a Christian. Sometimes I think that. 
I had, I had a friend come to me the other day, and great, great person, super mature Christian, like really involved in their church, great, great person. And, and he said, he just had a bad day, he'd had like a bad week, and he was just, or a bad month even. And he was like, Josh, he said, I just, I can't, I just can't do all this anymore. Like, it's just, I don't even, I'm just overwhelmed by it all. He said, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband, so I've, I've got a responsibility to my wife, and then I've got kids, and so I've got to be a good dad, and then I've got a job, and so I've got, I'm trying to do well at work and make enough money for the family, and the cost of living crisis has gone up, and then on top of all of that, I've got my own personal needs, like I want to get in shape, and I want to eat healthy, and I want to sleep well, and I don't have any time for myself. Right. He, that's what he said, right? Because it's like, I'm already feeling guilty about being a bad husband. I'm already feeling guilty about being a bad dad. I'm already feeling guilty about working too many hours. I'm already feeling guilty about my cholesterol's up, my blood pressure's up. But on top of all of that, which a normal person has to deal with, now I've got to feel guilty about not reading my Bible enough. I've got to feel guilty about not praying enough. I've got to feel guilty about not trusting God with my finances. He's like, why is it so hard to be a Christian? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, man, God, this is, why is this so hard? And the reason it's so hard is because you can't do it. You can't do it. I have this road outside my house, the shingle road, and I, I walk up it uh, sometimes. <laughs> and, I, and I pray sometimes. And I was walking up it the other day and I was talking to God about like following him. And, and the Holy Spirit said to me, how do you follow someone that can walk on water? These are all like, oh, deep. That's like, you guys are all like, I know that was God because there's no way Josh thought of that, right? <laughs> how do you follow someone that can walk on water? I mean, Jesus literally came to Peter and Andrew and said, follow me. James and John, follow me. And he just walks out onto a lake in the, or sea in the middle of a storm. How do you follow that? I don't know. I mean, I can't walk on water. Can you walk on water? It was frozen. Michael Brown, way to think outside the... I'm trying to make a point, Michael. Thank you, Gillian. How do you follow someone that can walk on water? You can't. But here's the good news. Jesus knows you can't. Jesus knows I can't. He knows we can't. In John chapter 14, Jesus knows that he's going to go to the cross. He's going to get crucified. He's going to be resurrected, but then he's going to go to heaven. And he knows that all of the disciples are going to have to carry on without him. He's not going to be around anymore. And so in John chapter 14, he's just starting to gently unpack to them what life is going to be like when he's gone. And in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says this, if you love me, keep my commands. Or to put it another way, if you love me, follow me. Follow my teaching. Follow my life. Follow what I tell you to do. If you love me, follow my commands. And then the very next verse, he says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus says. He says, hey guys, I'm gonna go soon, 
And when I go, you still need to follow my teachings. You still need to follow me. You still need to be walking the walk. You still need to hold the course. I still need you to be my disciples even when I'm gone. But I'm going to send, or more to the point, I'm going to ask Dad to send the Holy Spirit to help you do that. Because Jesus knew we can't do it by ourselves. Like if I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go home uh, and, and, and I need, Jan, I need you to, to do X, Y. I need you to move the freezer into another place. I wish I'd thought about this analogy before I got up here. <laughs> right? But if I said, I need you to do this, and then I said, hey, but I'm going to leave Sheridan to help you do it. Then, then what I'm saying to Jan is, I don't expect you to do this by yourself. I recognize you can't do this by yourself. And I've already preempted your massive failure from lack of upper body strength by giving. <laughs> right? And you're next. No. Uh, <laughs> right, I'm going to leave a helper. Like, that's what Jesus does. Right? And, and here's the thing I think, I think that the church is filled with believers, but we've got very few followers. But the reason we have so few followers is not because the church is filled with people that don't want to follow Jesus. It's not filled. You're not sitting here going, well, I don't want to follow Jesus. It's annoying. It's, it's like, you're like, I, I don't know how to do that. Or I've tried so many times and I've failed. I just kind of, like, how many times have you gone, I'm going to get up early every morning and read my Bible. How many times? Oh, tell the number of times. I'm not freaking pastor number of times I've been like right I'm gonna get up every and then I wake up in the morning it's so cold it's so cold my beard is so warm right and I've just shaved my wife said like well, how many times you've been like I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a healthier prayer life I'm, I'm gonna commit to to praying one hour a day I'm gonna do it for a month I don't even have an excuse for that I just don't do it right but or, or, or I'm going to read my whole Bible in a year. I've downloaded a Bible in a year reading app on my phone. And every, every day it sends me a reminder. And I love it for the first four or five days. And I'm like, go away. Because I've missed so many. Like, we try to do it so many times on our own strength and we can't do it. I was, I was walking along the beach one day. I took a holiday last year. And, and I was walking along the beach in the Coromandel, actually. And there was a big cliff on one side and the beach was on the other side and my kids were playing in the beach and my wife was reading a book and I said I've got to go for a walk because I've got stuff to talk to God about and I'm, I'm walking down the beach and I'm stressed and I'm tired we had this holiday from hell it was like a 17 day holiday and it rained every single day and halfway in the middle of the holiday my granddad died and I had to fly back to Christchurch and carry his casket out and then fly back after the holiday it was just horrible and, and, and I'd been looking forward to the holiday for so long and I've been carrying all of the stress and anxiety, but I was like, it's okay because I've got a holiday coming up. And then I get to the end. This is the last day of the holiday, and I've still got all of the stress and all of the anxiety, but now I've got no holiday to look forward to. And I'm like, God, I've got to go home, and how am I going to do all this stuff? I just don't think I can do it. Like, it's just so hard. So hard. It's so hard being a pastor. Oh, my gosh. You guys have got no idea. <laughs> you know. Because it's your church that I'm pastoring. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I could, I could throw a couple of names at the front row. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah you pray for me. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you three guesses. Throw some names. No, I'm just joking. I won't do that. <clears throat> I'm not going to do that. Right, so I'm walking down the beach, and I'm like, God, like, 
I'm almost crying. I'm like, God, I just don't know if I can do this. Like, it's just so hard. Like, what do I do? And, and I look, I'm like, God, just tell me what to do. And as I say that, I look up and this hawk comes up off the cliff. And I don't know if you've ever seen a hawk. Hawks, they, they don't hardly ever flap their wings or nothing. And it's just, it's just there. It's just like this. Do I have armpit stains? I'm, I'm like too scared to look. Oh, God, it's horrible. All right, you know, I'm just going to embrace it, all right? I'm just going to embrace it. The hawk was like this. Right? And it's, it's, like, it's like just riding, it's just riding the current. It's riding the air current, and it's just cruising. And it doesn't flap at all. Pull it together, guys. It doesn't, it doesn't flap at all. It looks so effortless. It looks so easy. And God said to me, do that. Like, just learn to ride the Holy Spirit. Learn to partner with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lift you. He said to me, he said, you just, he said, you're flapping around so much. You look ridiculous. Like, and and the hawk's just like, yeah, man. Just riding the hot waves. You, you. Being a disciple is hard. You can't do it by yourself. Honestly, you'll give yourself an aneurysm just trying to do it by yourself. I get the band to jump up. I'll tell you one more story. I, I love God, and I love that God gives me really helpful illustrations for my messages, even if they're embarrassing for me. So here is the best example I can think of, of how most of us live our life. Like we're Christians, I think that we are... Um, earnest in our faith. I think we're like genuine when we say we want to follow God, but we don't know how to partner with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to help you. The Greek word, that in, in my NIV, it says he's sending an advocate. The Greek word is a Greek word called parakletos. And it literally means someone that stands beside you to help. Like he's right here. Other translations call him a counselor. Other translations call him an encourager. Other translations call him a comforter. Other translations call him a helper. I read this week that one of the definitions is literally defense attorney. Like he's, he's right there beside you. And when you're struggling to make this Christian walk thing work, it's because you're trying to do it on your own. Be like the hawk, man. So... Last, last weekend down in Christchurch, we had like a month's rain in one day over the weekend. And so I'm at church on Sunday morning and I get a phone call from my wife. And she says, hey, the car's broken down. I said, car's broken down? She said, yeah, I think there's, there's water in the engine. I said, where is it? She goes, in a lake. <laughs> Our whole house was like underwater. She'd like, just, she'd like got up and seen this lake and thought, yeah, uh, what kind of car do we drive? A Honda Stream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you think you're not a car person? Wait till this story finishes. I'm going to make you look amazing, Ashley. So, so she had to get a, a ride in. And one of the ladies at church, she said, hey, it's fine. I'm flying up to, she's flying up to Hamilton on Sunday. She said, I'm leaving my car at church for a week. You can use it. I said, great. So I go in on Tuesday morning, bring in my wife and kids in our car. We've only got one car now. And I say to my wife and kids, you guys go, you take my car home. I'm going to use this car. And so they leave and I go out and I hop in it. And it's a manual. 
I don't have a lot of experience with manuals. But it's facing forward, so I hop and I put it in first gear and I, and I drive it down the drive and I park it right outside church. So picture it, it's parked right outside church up against a curb. And I go inside and I get my stuff and I come back out and I have to put it into reverse. I can't get it into reverse. For the life of me, I'm like, you know, okay, reverse, clutch, reverse, reverse, reverse. <laughs> I'm like, if I put any more effort into this, I'm going to snap the gear stick in half. So I'm like, I don't know what to do because I can't drive forward. There's a like a two foot high curb there. So I go, well, I guess I'll just have to put it into neutral and push it backwards. So I put it into neutral and I go around the front and I'm like, you know, it's quite hard to do because it's a bit of a lean and I'm pushing it back. And just as I'm pushing it back, a guy from the factory next door comes out and he says to me, what are you doing? Now, I'm a 40-year-old man. I am not telling another man that I don't know how to get into reverse. So Pastor Josh, in the church car park, says, mate, it's my, it's my brother's car and it's, it's got a faulty gearbox and every now and again we can't get it into reverse. It's so stupid. right? I was fully lied. And uh, so he's like, oh, that's... And then I hop in the car and I drive to my next meeting and the whole time I'm driving to my next meeting, I'm like, God, please, please give me a car park that I can just drive into and drive out of. And I get to the meeting and there's one car park left. It's right against a six-foot fence. And so I got to park against a six-foot fence and I, I do my meeting. I come back out. I'm like, oh, here we go again. And I put it into neutral. And I push it out. There's people in the offices looking at me. Like, what is that guy doing? I put it into neutral. I hop in the car. Like, I'm not even joking. This would have gone on all week. Except I went through my messages and I found one from my friend who said, oh, FYI, if you want to put it into reverse, there's like a little wee click thing under the gear set, you guys know. And I hopped in and I clicked it and it went into reverse and it was like, oh my gosh. Like, I've been doing this so hard. I've been pushing this car around like an idiot. And the whole time, there's just this click, just this click thing. That's the Holy Spirit right there. There's so many Christians, myself included, and we are, we are trying to push our life around, trying to push this thing. And the whole time God's like, I sent you the Holy Spirit. Just flick that thing up, baby. Does that make sense? You, you can't follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit, period. I want, to, I want to set you free tonight from this idea that you're failing. You're not failing. You just need more of the Holy Spirit. You're struggling with behavior, struggling not to look at things that you know you shouldn't look at. Why do I keep returning to this? Why am I engaged in this destructive behavior? Why, can't, why do I keep returning to this bad relationship? You just need the Holy Spirit. 